Hi, this is Dave Belsky, your host of the Sunset Session, um, featured on WCBN. We have a special guest today, Kyle Kazan, the CEO of Glasshouse Group here in California. Kyle, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Dave. Uh, Glasshouse Group operates Glasshouse Farms, which is the largest cannabis greenhouse operational in California. Currently, I believe it's up there. Also four retail locations that do delivery, um, including Bud and Bloom, the pharmacy, and uh, what is that one in LA? The Pottery. The Pottery, and also produces Glasshouse Farms branded flour, which um, will end up somewhere in the top three or four flour brands in the state this year, field extracts, amongst other brands. So. Um, thank you for joining and um, fitting it in. Now, I always like to start with, what was your uh, background before cannabis, before starting Glasshouse Group? Um, so how far back do you want me to go back? Uh, let's start off with your, your USC basketball star days where you were, uh, you know, all conference packed in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, for, for basketball fans back in the late 80s that remember USC, which was a seventh place in the Pac-10, uh, you had to stay and, you know, eat all of your popcorn to, co to see me play. I was more of a come in the game and mop up an already mopped up game. So, uh, yeah, but I played three years, three years for a Hall of Fame coach uh, at USC. Yeah, but I mean, everyone, everyone needs, it takes something though, to stay with a team when you're not getting play time just to be part of the, part of the story. Look, I, I had a ball. I did get a little bit of time here and there and, um, you know, people would spend see me on CBS and call me up and back then we couldn't text. Uh, and it, it was, it was a heck, it was, it was a really fun time. And, you know, I wouldn't trade. I learned a lot from coach traveling. And then after basketball, you know, faced with the real world post-graduation, what did you do after college? So, uh, I, I worked, uh, in a, as an inner city special ed, uh, teacher down in South Central Los Angeles for four years, a little school, if you watch the movie Menace to Society, at the very opening, it shows my school as it goes into Jordan High School and Jordan Downs Housing Projects. Wow. Um, and then uh, you became a police officer. Yeah, but on the side I was doing, you know, I had a, a t-shirt company because we had unrest back in April of 92, and I didn't understand why I'm passing all of these uh, press conferences and our mayor and our council people and they're doing ribbon cuttings and then nothing happens. It was just placation of, of the folks in South Central that were so upset. And so we started, uh, my, myself and my teacher's assistant, we actually started a company called Streetwise Clothes and we had taggers who I thought really made some pretty cool art uh, put that onto shirts. And so we had it selling in a, a chain called Hot Topic. And, um, and Hot Topic? Yeah, well, I mean, popular with the, uh, the teenagers. Yeah, we were on Power 106, which was a Whew, big time. Big boy in the morning. It was wasn't big boy in the morning. It was an afternoon or an evening show we were on. But so it was a really interesting idea, and it also there were, I learned a lot of lessons about uh, and became somewhat uh, jaded about uh, the government response and again placation of people to just get them to be quiet and get back into their kind of their place and and so. Um, but but I was also buying real estate on the side because as a school teacher, you know you don't you don't make a lot of money, and then they cut my pay 11% because we were in a recession, and so I just uh, started buying some rental real estate and got into that, um, and then after four years, uh, I was hired by the Torrance Police Department, so I doubled my salary from being a school teacher to now enforcing the law, 
and uh, I was a Torrance police officer for five years from 1994 to 1999. And as a Torrance police officer, a lot of what you saw, you know, was enforcement against drug-related crimes. Yeah, you know, um, the American drug war um, still on in, in such a big way. And um, I led the department for two different six-month periods. So for 20% you know, of my time, I was making the most felony and the most misdemeanor arrests. Um, and so I was, and most of those were drug. Most of those were drug possession. And you know, at, at what point did you get disenfranchised with law enforcement and, and take, take in a different direction? So I never got disenfranchised with law enforcement. I, I you know, the men and women out there, um, you know, we need them. The only, the, if you don't have law enforcement, and you know, enforcing laws in society, you have anarchy. You have two choices. Right. That, that's pretty much yeah. it. And so, but but the drug war itself, that's what I became uh, disenchanted about. You know, helping somebody. You know, trying to make sure. Um, you know, if somebody stole a car or somebody put a gun to somebody's head or somebody killed somebody. Uh, you know, I, I I was at murder scenes and made arrests. Arrested some people for 187 PC. Um, you know, that, that was gratifying, you know, take, taking somebody dangerous off the street was a, was a good thing. But, but the drug war, um, you know, I, I made less and less arrests as um, my career was kind of coming to an end because my businesses were growing and I just was having difficulty doing both. That, that was the conundrum I was in. Sure. Um, and then your business were, were property management and that's where, where you got your, your, your kind of start as an entrepreneur. and. Um, and over after leaving the police force, the property management business grew into beachfront property, which has how many units? Uh? So yeah, so we 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 had um, purchased 250 units. So I put partnerships together. Uh, my business partner that I met back then, 24 years ago, we started doing that. And once we had about 250 units, I actually took a pay cut to leave the police department and start a management company. It had about 15, 20 million dollars worth of real estate at the time. Um, today, that company manages about 7,500 units. I'm still the majority owner, even though I don't spend a lot of time focused there. Um, and it manages about $2.8 billion worth of real estate. Um, well, you know, we'll, we'll come back to, to your story in a second, tie that into kind of present day events. But, sure. um, but obviously a very unique background for someone running a modern legal recreational cannabis company in California. Right. A hundred percent. What I would tell you is the bridge was actually LEAP. LEAP is Law Enforcement Against Prohibition is what it used to be, now it's Law Enforcement Action Partnership. And uh, it's basically retired, some active duty, but mainly retired law enforcement, uh, so police, DAs, and judges. And what they do is they speak out, back then it was against prohibition, against the drug war. That was the mission. They've broadened their, their mission to social justice and, and, and uh, bettering law enforcement uh, in society today. And so back in 08, I started speaking very publicly. Pissed off some of my police friends, uh, frankly, but they knew me. The ones that knew me well, they knew I just, I'll speak my mind. And I just wanted to speak out from my experience at what a failure, an absolute failure um, the drug war has been. And I, you know, uh, you you brought up our CFO, who you kindly uh, brought to us. Uh, he did a great job in helping to fill my company with with great people um, at Flower Hire. But um, I told Derek, I'm like, hey man, we, we were talking. I go watch the wire. 
from 2000 or 2001 on HBO, you will see, tell me, who the, right. tell me who the bad people are. Yeah. They're just people. Right. And at the end of the day, when I earned my badge, my wife pinned it on, it wasn't to save you from you. It was to save, save people from being victimized. But if you're gonna put something in your body, I mean, it, it, it's just a slippery slope. Um, right. And it, so, so to me, that's where I, I, I spoke out and I got a lot of credibility from being on Fox and CNN and things like that so that when, I, when people started coming to me, asked me back in 2011, 2012, would I start investing in the space? And it was not just no, it was hell no. I'm like, the LAPD still has battle rams and they will it's come to- Shutting down things actively and turning well, off power it, and- Oh, but I, no, I thought they would come to my house and basically take me to jail or feds or, because right. a, lot of, a lot of the cops didn't like, appreciate my, my point of view and, and being very public. So I, st I st was like a hard no and I, and I wanted to advocate uh, against the war on drugs and, and legalize and regulate and marijuana was first up, now it's mushrooms. And I'm hoping that through um, what's going on in society today that we actually have a, a good discussion about legalizing and regulating all drugs. Yeah, which 20 years ago when we started being vocal about it as part of LEAP, it was, it was, a, it was a radical thought. Big time. Big time radical. And I'm sure your former law enforcement, or your law enforcement friends, but also other people in your life were like, what, what are you, what's going on here? What are you doing? One of my brothers uh, was sheriff's deputy who just recently retired. He still hates that. And what I, can't, what I can't seem to get is my friends that appreciate guns, and I appreciate the Second Amendment, hate weed, hate the drugs. And the, and the folks on the weed side and the drug side, and, and I love them too, and you know, I've been fighting for legalization, they hate guns. And it's like, everybody sort of wants the same thing. We just start bridging society to look, and, and I'll be the first one, Dave, to tell you, you know, look, you know, I know, you're, I know you're a lovely family, you have kids. I don't want to see any of your kids using heroin. I don't want to see them using tobacco. But if they choose to do it, it's there. Whether it's legal or not, it's widely available. Right. And we have this epidemic of people dying uh, of opioid deaths because they're getting fentanyl. And, and at the end of the day, if they could buy legally regulated heroin, it's the least worst idea. It's uh, still not good, yeah. but what we have now is not working. We spent over a trillion dollars on the drug war, and we are the most jailing population on the planet. For, More than China. For nonviolent offenses. For nonviolent offenses, Where and you're, you're only harming yourself, right? And then you can't vote, although some of that's changing. Yeah. Um, you well, know, you're disenfranchised. You can't get public housing. You can't get this. You can't get that. Yeah. It just it it. And then, you know, that person may have ha have kids, and now who's going to take care of the kids? It's just bad on every level of society. So I'm hoping, as we see that marijuana legalization has not the world has not ended. In fact, the world's gotten a lot better. And I'm hoping that we, we see this just, you know, change across society. Well, I always look at the cannabis industry right now in 2020 as there's not a better opportunity to create jobs and create tax revenue for cities and states and the federal government and people that are, and the government's gonna need it to continue to provide the level of service considering what's happening in the world today. Um, the other part of that has been, again, there's been no bigger example of systemic racism in this country than the war on drugs in terms of how it's been played out. Um, yep. And, I think that um, you know, for you and 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 this current bubbling up of sentiment against police officers, a lot of that is rooted in, in, the, in having to enforce the war on drugs. 
um, and, and not, you know, in, in police departments having to do their job that is made by politicians and lawmakers, and, and they're the ones that have to be that enforcement arm. Look, I don't like war. I was against the war in Iraq. Um, people thought I was crazy. Now, all of a sudden, that seems to be just like marijuana. Um, but I, at no point, ever felt any animosity towards any soldier. Anybody who's out there putting their life on the line, even if I think the war is misguided, I, ch I support them. And the same thing with, with law enforcement. When I call 911, when anyone calls 911, and I used to work in South Central where it is dangerous, and the murder's going up, they're not going up in Bel Air. They're not going up in, in parts of the city where that's not allowed. But it's okay. And, and the politicians will speak a good game, but they're full, of, they're full of it. It's okay for people to die in South Central. It happened back when I was there, and it, it's happening today. That's where it spikes. And so when, when you hear defund the police and they start saying, oh, we're going to shift, I am agreeing with shifting, 100%. Shift law enforcement into just where we need the laws enforced. But give them proper funding and measure it like you would any other business to say, you know, the folks in South Central, when they call 911, someone should be there in minutes. Yeah. That's how it was in Torrance. Mm -hmm. And that's where, you know, you and I are neighbors. That's what we get. Um, and it's just not acceptable for poor communities to, which are communities of color, to not get the proper policing. Your point is a very, very good one, though, Dave, in that we can't blame police officers for enforcing bad laws. We should, we should be you know, out in front of politicians' homes and saying, change these laws. They shouldn't be on the books. Now police don't arrest for cannabis because they they're they do what they're instructed to do right. and so at the end of the day let's not blame the law enforcers let's blame our politicians and get them to do the right thing right um and i think there's no better time to, to push that narrative forward than in in 2020 what's happening but i think that the the how do we solve this narrative has initially been Come to, there's no consensus in the media or anything like that. And this is a, a major thing that will not solve it, but work to solve, you know, these um, structural challenges and societal challenges that we're all dealing with and aware of is rolling these things back and then figuring out support for these communities that have been affected by this. And whether it's community owned and operated retail dispensaries, there's a lot of potential there. But th if we're talking about improvement from here and, and taking advantage of society being, you know, woke as it is in 2020, um, you know, hopefully more politicians start, you know, articulating that properly as part of the solution and the path forward. And, and um, you know, I, I think it, it comes down to constituents to give them the message. So I, I completely agree with that. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, so now um, you mentioned staying out of cannabis from a business standpoint until it looked like California seems like it was going to go on the path of legalization, right? And obviously being a vocal, um, you know, proponent of cannabis, you got, you got to a point where um, I'm sure even in the medical days in the Prop 215 era, opportunities were coming your way, right? Or you, you want to invest in this grow or let's go in on this license with your real estate background, you'll get it. But you're like, I'm not getting involved. And what was that moment when you're like, it's now time to try to bring my entire world together what I believe in, what I'm good at, and how I make money, right? Um, you know, what was that moment where you're like, I'm gonna go full into this industry? You know, it, it, it happened over a period of time, but Prop 19 was, was California's chance to go from Prop 215 
to Prop 64 before anybody else, and that was 2011. And so I was I was on a lot of different. Um, what did that What did that fail? Soros came in with the money late. Um, it was again Richard Lee, who has Oakstam University, mm -hmm. put in a million bucks. Courageous man, Richard. Um, and they were trying to convince Soros to come in, and he, you know, he was a funder of the Drug Policy Alliance. Mm. He just was late to the dance. Mm. And look, Diane Feinstein, who needs to retire, she came out heavy against it, and I was a lot of times the counterbalance. So was, so was the DA, so was the sheriff, mm. and uh, and I knew I know the former DA uh, Steve Cooley, and I and I know I knew Lee Baca, and I, I know Lee Baca, um, and. I kind of expected from them, but I just, I was really disappointed in, in Senator Feinstein flying in here and really pushing it, and it was sort of last minute, not the funding quite there, and it just couldn't quite get over. But, um, but, but to answer your question, um, in 2013, I saw Colorado and Washington become the first, they passed their, their Prop 19s, their Prop 64, and so I started going to Denver a lot that year, and I was just looking at you know, I, anytime I'm going to invest somewhere, whether it's in, in Europe or whether it's in Asia or, you know, pecan farms in Georgia, place where I put my money to work, I like to get my shoes dirty. I like to fully understand what is going on. And I felt like the, this was going to be, we're going to see 1933, which was the end of alcohol prohibition. We're going to see it all over again. And so it was somewhere, the aha moment, I would say, was 2013. I felt, okay, I got to understand this. Um, I couldn't quite invest in Colorado because they, at the time they didn't want out-of-state money. They were, so I couldn't quite make it work and I'm a pretty creative person, but it was at that point in 14 where I said to the team, guys, we're gonna go back to California and we are going to focus here. It's what we know. I, I'm a lifelong California person. I'm well-connected politically. Uh, you know, I've got a lot of business experience. I have a lot of investors that have made a lot of money. And I said, let's, let's see what we can do. Let's see if we can go do some good, uh, be impact investors.